I'm going to ask us just to take a moment and bow together. Father, we come into your presence and we still our hearts because as we enter into this season of Lent, we recognize there was a period of time, some 40 days or so before you went to the cross, that you began to feel the pain and burden of that cross. You even looked out at the city of Jerusalem and, and just wept. Wanted to cover them like a hen over her chicks in care and protection. God, we again recognize that your heart is in deep anguish and you love us not just here but as a people throughout this world. And so God, open our hearts, we pray, to your word, to this word in Hebrews. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand up, okay, so you can get the blood moving again. And as you do that, I want you to think about this because I want you to turn and tell someone um, about a product that you love. And, and you know, may have to turn around or you, if you feel like, boy, you know, I'm just here and I don't really want it. You could just go like this and look down, okay? I don't, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but I want you to think about a product you love. And the reason I say this is because this whole, this whole letter, this whole book we call Hebrews is about... This truth, and that is that there is a better life because of Jesus who has come as a better, better message and messenger. And and as a result of that, there's all kinds of betters in this. And so part of what he wants us to do is to to be able to share that with others. So take a moment and, you know, there's got to be a product that you like, that you saw, or that you use. Just turn to someone and just tell them what it is, okay? Okay, I'm going to, you know what, one of you has probably gone on quite a while because you love it, but I'm going to call this to a close, okay, I need your, otherwise we'll never get to this message, so thank you, please take a seat, okay, I know it's a good product, but that's enough. This series is called The Better Life because the idea throughout every line and every page of this letter called Hebrews is that Jesus is better in every way. And so we have to ask yourself right away, because we're going to get right into this message, there's a lot to cover. Who wrote this? You kind of wonder, who wrote this? Because this is one of those that is really different. It doesn't have a name attached to it. Um, uh, and, and some early on started giving it names because of maybe it's really, in the Greek, it's really well-written Greek. Not like some of the letters in the New Testament. And not only that, it actually... Um, it, it, they obviously the person knows the Old Testament and, and all about the Jewish faith. So he's got to bring together something, he or she. And so there's been a number of thoughts. One is that it's Paul. Some have thought it's a man named Apollos. There are some who thought maybe it was Barnabas. And, and there's a good amount of people thinking maybe it was Priscilla. Because Priscilla taught Apollos, and Priscilla was a Jew who really understood Judaism, but also was quite a gifted lady, and it says so in Acts 18.26 how she taught Apollos. So it could have been any of those. I don't really know. The, the last chapter 13 looks in, in the sounds of it. It sounds a lot like Paul. And who is it written to? You go, well, of course, it's written to the Hebrews, because it says Hebrews up there. But do you know, it, there was no title on this one either. It wasn't until years later, I think it was Clement or Irenaeus or one of them, who said it was to the Hebrews, which meant it was to those 
who were Jews, a group of Jews. And you have to ask, where were they when this was written? And again, we don't really quite know, except for it most. A lot of scholars think it's possibly written to the area of Judea and maybe even specifically Jerusalem. And it had to be before 70 AD, because in 70 AD, the Roman army came in and destroyed the, the whole Palestine area, especially some of the large Jewish cities in Jerusalem in particular, and the temple in particular. And so it had to be written before that, because he would have made mention of the destruction of the temple. It would, would have made his argument a whole lot easier as you go through this. And so it's probably, in my understanding, written somewhere between 60, I'm thinking 60, 65, A.D. before the 70 crush of the Romans. And, and, and to people, Jews, who were at that time being persecuted, not just by Rome, but even by fellow Jews who were trying to purify the Jewish faith. And were blaming them for some of the disruption happening in Jerusalem and in their land. And to me, that makes the best sense because he's writing to them. And in this book, there are seven warnings. And every warning is a callback to Jesus and not to go back to the old faith. And so what's the context? That's the context. Back in the 160 or so, 80 AD, um, BCE, before um, a, a guy named Maccabees came and he, he freed uh, the Jewish people, and at that time there was all kinds of infighting between Jews of trying to keep the, 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 the people free and the, and, and the faith free of being um, overrun by Greek thought. So it's probably what's going on here. That's what's happening. And the writer was concerned that they would leave the new for the old. And so thinking they would return to something that was less than, that was a mere shadow, a symbol of all that is now present and real and actual, he's calling them back and and using an argument to say, what you have, what is in Jesus, is far better than what you had. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your own life. And, And if you've come to a faith in Christ at some point in your life, it may be that God's calling you back to that kind of that, that place of passion and, and that place of understanding of what you had in that simple faith maybe is far better than how complicated it's become. Or maybe you've kind of did it for a while and then you're kind of pulling back going, you know, it really doesn't make much of a difference. Or maybe you've never experienced this before. Jesus is the author, we're told here, of a new and better covenant with better blessings in every way. And Jesus comes for a people. He welcomes everyone, knowing that nobody's perfect, except Jesus himself. It even says so in this book. And yet Jesus arranges a deal, a new and improved covenant. A new and improved covenant allows for anyone who wants to, to be in relationship with, with God through Christ, who makes anything possible. Sound familiar? It should. It's our, our why is that a free culture statement? Um, So let's get started, and let's take a look at this book as a whole. So we're going to first just look at this book as a whole, and then we're going to get into actually the first chapter, and we're going to go through this, through this period of Lent, and we're going to try and understand as best we can what this book is telling us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do you live the way of Jesus? And first, I just want to share with you that the thing that probably, if you want to put, a, you want to put on the top of, of it, is Jesus is the real deal. That's kind of what he's saying all the time. And Jesus is the real deal. 
He, he wants to know the, the first century people to know this, and he wants us as 21st century people to be aware of that. In a sense, this is the message of Hebrews throughout it. The author is saying, look at what you have now in Jesus. It is much better. Forget the old covenant. The new covenant that Jesus has instituted is new and improved and better than anyone could imagine. Jesus himself actually said this. In, in, in other words, at one point in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that you may have life, a life that is full and abundant. It's a better life than anybody could offer. Whoever and whatever you have been seeking to find life, and he says, pales in comparison. You may try and find it in a job. You may try and find it in a paycheck. You may try and find it in some kind of um, a hobby that you're involved in, you may try and find it in the arms of another person, but you will not find life in its fullness and in abundance in any place but in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everything about Jesus is better. And the letter takes you through the Old Testament and compares it um, all the way through. He, he, he starts and talks about the prophets and the angels, and he talks about the high priest, the sacrifices, the temple, there's the candles, there's the bread of presence, the mercy seat, and on and on we could list these different things. They are mere symbols, he says. They're just shadows. They're signs. You know what signs? You think of a sign and you're on your highway and you're looking to go to a certain city and you see a sign. The sign isn't the city, right? It just points to where the city is. We'd be foolish if you stop there and go, boy, here, we're already at Dallas. And you're like 500 miles away. Signs and symbols are themselves things that, that point to something greater. And Jesus says, and the author says that in Jesus, symbols become reality and shadows become substance and faith becomes fact. And what was merely hoped for is now guaranteed. Everything in every way is new and improved. And over and over again, he says, Jesus is the real deal. And so what I'd love for you to do is to sense that. I'd like you to feel what's real. Okay, that's what he goes through again and again. He, he says, um, quit focusing on shadows. Stop your love affair with symbols. Take your eyes off those things that are pointing to the reality and begin to experience the reality and the goodness of God revealed in Jesus. Feel, in a sense, what's real. Step into this. Truly begin to live and experience his forgiveness so that when you hear lies of the enemy that, that accuse you, that you can go, I, I'm forgiven, and then walk in the forgiveness. And if something's wrong, make it right. He's talking about living this way of life that Jesus talked about, that when you're in a situation and the Spirit prompts you to give something, give it to them. Be generous, because God in that, in that way, blesses you. Just, I want you, he says, to start in faith, acting out what you know, so that you can begin to feel what's real. So let me explain this. I mean, I'd actually love for you to, to get a picture of the better. And so what I want you to do for a second is think about chocolate cream pie, okay? Anybody can think of French silk pie? You think about it for a second? Anybody like French silk pie? I mean, raise your hand if you like French silk pie, okay? Okay, so now I want you to think about it. I want you to imagine it. Use your mind, you know, get creative. Think of that piece of pie. Now, now think of taking a fork and tasting it. Can you do that? It's, it, it, it's not the real thing, but you can, can anybody kind of taste it? Okay. Now, now that's, that's just something that points to it. But how much better if I actually gave you, who, who loves chocolate cream pie, the actual thing, and everyone gets to watch you eat it? Right? How much better? Who else said they liked it? 
There we go. We got some takers here. And, you know, feel free to eat it because, you know, this is part of what the gospel does. The gospel actually causes people around you to feel it's real. Now, if you're not living it, if you're in circumstances where, where someone is, you know, has hurt you and you become angry and, and, and you don't go, you know what, I'm a human being, I do, but I want to let you know I, I ask your forgiveness. That's the kind of stuff people don't really get. They don't live that way. And when they feel it, they want it because it's real. How, how many, when you think about, like, let's use another one, like sea salt iced coffee from Caribou. How many like that? Just raise your hand if you're kind of a fan of sea salt. There's nobody here? Oh, we got one. Anybody else? Oh, we got two. Okay, you know, pass that back, would you? You know, you get to go ahead and taste it, you know? This is real. How many, how many of you like money? <laughs> Just raise your hand. I mean, if you're really into money, how many of you would like a bag of hundreds? Right here. I, I know your heart. You'd want to give it to Grow and Gather, so I'll put it up here as a part of the Grow and Gather offering, right? This is, this is, this is going to Grow and Gather, and I, I know I'd love to. So my point is really simple. The point of Hebrews all the way through it is to say all this stuff you saw, the prophets and their message, the sacrifices that were given, the bread of, bread of presence that, that, that told you that God is right here. The mercy seat where you meet God in, in complete grace, in humility, in recognition that you're, that you're not perfect. But you want to live a life that grows in maturity and becomes like Jesus. It's real. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to hope it's there. You don't have to wish it's there. You don't have to kind of go, boy, I like that chocolate you know, French silk pie or, or that iced coffee or, or that bag of hundreds. It's real. Every, every point along the way, he wants you to know, folks, this is so real. Quit living below yourself. There's a better life. There's a life that is with Jesus, attached to Jesus, with Jesus, that if you follow his way and you walk in his way and you begin to say, Jesus, I'm going to, more than, more than my job, more than the paycheck, more than the things I'm trying to get life from, I'm going to find my life fully in you. And he says, guess what? You can know it. It's real. I, I want us to lift in a sense our, our, our sense of our hope of there is more than what you're experiencing. And it's in God. And he says it's real. So um, let's take a quick tour through this book of Hebrews. And this is just the first point. We're just kind of in the, the, the book of Hebrews setting up what it looks like. The author introduces a symbol that has been become actual in Jesus. And what was a shadow of what was to come is now, he says, real. The substance of what was foreshadowed is now here in Jesus. So, so don't, don't, don't go to lesser things. Find it in Jesus. Practically every chapter introduces an Old Testament symbol with a new reality in Jesus. So, for instance, this first one, a better message. And we're going to look at this in a moment so we won't take any more time on that. But then the chapter two is a better brother. Here's the idea. He, he presents this Jesus and he begins and he has Jesus who's truly living out his vocation, called the way that we are. A little lower than the angels, um, not quite like the creation in the sense of um, animal, natural kind of a creation closer than your best friend because he's a better brother and better than your most loved family member. Jesus is a brother who knows us, understands us, feels with us, and has lived 
with our fears. As Hebrews 2, 4, and 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. There is no friend, he'll tell us, who compares. There's no family member better. More well-suited, capable, and able to love you like Jesus. He's the best big brother you will ever have. And if you want to know that, just ask his younger brothers, James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon. A couple of them wrote books about Jesus in the New Testament. Chapter 3 talks about a better advocate. If you want a court-appointed mediator, if you're going to court and you've got to have a court-appointed mediator, he's basically saying the best mediator advocate that you can ever have is Jesus. And, and he compares him to Moses, who is the best advocate, intercessor, mediator who's ever lived. You ever seen those law firm commercials where they, you know, they say something like, if you want someone to represent you, you know you will want the firm of Schwebel, Getz, and Zeven, right? Well, there's some pretty bad ones out there, and I, I asked you know, to show one of these because you know, this is what you could get. We'll see if we can. These aren't actors. These are real Brown and Crouppen lawyers. Eddie, are the witnesses here? Boss, they're looking good and raring to go. Andy, what about the exhibits? Locked and loaded, Dad. Cell phones off? It's going to be a rough day for the insurance company, but a good one for the good guys. Boys, let's make them pay. Brown and Crouppen. Well, muscle, talent, results, and a no-fee guarantee. Call 421-HELP. There's a better helpline. There really is a better helpline. I, I, I tell you, there's, there's these ads. You can see them all the time. And, and what he is basically saying is, folks, in this life, um, if, you, if you really want to understand this better life, he says, Jesus is the real deal. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, he says, Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, the best advocate mediator. You thought Moses mediated well between you and God, and you've been impressed with how Moses interceded and pleaded with God so that he wouldn't abandon these faithless, golden calf-worshiping people. He says, let me tell you, there is no comparison. Jesus is better, a better advocate, mediator, and intercessor. And then he goes through, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but chapter 4, a better rest. Chapter 5, a better hope. Chapter 7 and 8, a better promise. Chapter 9 and 10, a better sacrifice. Chapter 11, a better faith. Chapter 12, a better training. And chapter 13, a better family. Now, bear with us because we're going to have to go through these quickly, right? Chapter to chapter. We're not doing that today. You're going, thank God. Um, <laughs> we're just going to look at this first one. And this first chapter is, is Jesus' better message. So look, if you would, at, at Hebrews. And we're going to look at these first three verses. Hebrews, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, of the, uh, of the majesty in heaven. He's basically saying God for years spoke in all kinds of ways through all kinds of means. And not that God doesn't, I just want to make this really clear, not that God doesn't speak still. 
in different ways and in ways to people. But his point is this. There is one huge difference in the way that God speaks to you even now. And that is in Jesus, he spoke definitively, completely, finally, and fully. Everything, every personal revelation, every voice or impression that we get from God is checked against Jesus Christ and his word. One of the things we talk about, and we even wrote a paper at one point, um, was to let people know that we are a church of his word and spirit. We believe both need to be involved. I mean, if you just have the, the word, you become cold. If you just have the fire, uh, the spirit, it just is kind of this fire that can be destructive. But if you bring them together, it's a creative, powerful force. So, he says the revelation of God in Christ. This is a thing that you can find. It's in this scripture, but in many others, is complete. In Jesus, he's basically saying all that you need to know about having a relationship with God, all that you need to know about salvation and how to live this life for God and with God and, and in this culture is made known in, in Jesus. You'll find in his word. It's complete. The revelation of God, he says, is also final. There's no need for a further revelation in the sense that you need a new person, a new prophet, a new scripture, someone who comes along and goes, you know what, I got a new book. Kind of like um, what we see in, in Islam where there's a prophet Muhammad who comes along at a certain point and says there's a, he's the greatest and last prophet and he gives a book, the Quran. There, there is no need for another person to come like Joseph Smith who comes along at a certain point and he says, I'm a prophet, I've been spoken to by God and he then gives us the Book of Mormon. There's no need to have this, uh, there's a guy who's a Pennsylvania businessman which you've got to kind of begin to wonder right there. But anyway, Charles Taze Russell founded Jehovah Witnesses and, and he brought what he called the New World Translation Bible. Now he takes the Bible and he says, you just got to translate it this way in order to really understand it. Or Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, the Dianetics and all his writings are supposedly a, another prophet. That's, according to this word, it, it is complete what you need to know about God and through faith in Christ. It's final. The last final um, person, prophet of God is Jesus. And this is the message that he's given us. And, and, the, and the, the last thing I would say is that it, in this, God in Jesus, God in fullness shows up. He says the sun perfectly mirrors and is stamped with God's nature. Jesus is God's heart on display. It's, it's God being seen. It's the great I am becoming the great I am present. He showed up, he's present, he's made known, he's seen. That's what this passage of these three verses are basically saying. So the message in the way of Jesus is better is what he's making the point. Um, here's, here's the thing. You need to know that this is something not only you can trust, but if you begin to apply it and you act upon it, you will find it actually working in your life. It's better than anything that's been revealed and anything that we hope to be revealed. Now, if you listen and apply the message of Jesus, just even the Beatitudes, think about it. If you were just to apply a, a short portion of it, what he's saying is it will actually bring about change in your life. You don't need all kinds of scripture. You can just take a portion of it and begin to, you, you just live by Psalm 23. It will begin to alter your life. If you just say, I'm going to live this out every day. There is a, a, a story um, that I just read this last week. Uh, Stephen Colbert, you know who Stephen Colbert, he's a late night talk show host. Uh, he had welcomed on his show a guy named Andrew Garfield. And, and you might know Andrew Garfield because he's the actor who played the lead role in Spider-Man. Anybody see, anybody see the, the movie The Amazing Spider-Man? 
I didn't think there'd be a whole lot. But you know what? Anyway, he was in that movie. And, and, and Colbert had him on his show because Andrew Garfield was promoting a new movie called Silence, which is a pretty interesting film about these, um, these fathers uh, of the Catholic faith who went through some incredible, difficult times in, in persecution in Japan when they were seeking to bring the gospel there. And, and in preparation for his acting role, this, this role, the already tall and thin Garfield had to lose about 40 pounds. So now you can just see, because they were in this time where they're going to persecution and, and they were to look as if they had eaten nothing. Well, that's the way he looked. But catch this too. This atheist, he, he proclaimed himself an atheist, a very confused atheist. Garfield had also, he had to practice the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Which um, you might go, wow, what are those? There's some really, they are good practices of, of following Jesus. And, and he says that the spiritual um, exercises of St. Ignatius are nothing more than following the way of Jesus. And Garfield says that in doing those spiritual disciplines and placing himself under the way of Jesus, he found himself, catch this, falling in love with Jesus. Garfield told America Magazine, his uh, quote, I felt so bad for Jesus and angry on his behalf when I finally did meet Jesus through this process because everyone had given him such a bad name Jesus has been used for so many dark things. And so he continues in American Magazine, he says, what was really easy was falling in love with this person. Through following the way of Jesus, I was falling in love with Jesus Christ. And that was the most surprising thing. That was the most remarkable thing, falling in love. How easy it was to fall in love with Jesus. These are the words, you got to catch this, that are coming from the same guy who prior to this experience described his religious belief to another magazine called The Hollywood Reporter this way. This was prior to this, all this. He said, I consider myself a pantheist, agnostic, occasionally atheist, and a little bit Jewish, but mostly confused. (laughs) And in preparation for the film, Garfield described the exercise of St. Ignatius as this, trans, a transformational process where you do imaginative, meditative prayers with the life of Jesus, where you place yourself in each New Testament scene, much like being an actor. And it was ultimately those practices of meditation, prayer, and scripture that led him, he said, to acknowledge Jesus' presence in his life. Now, I want to make this clear. Garfield has not confessed Jesus as his Lord. He's confessed that he's fallen in love with Jesus. And I think he's probably still searching. But I think it's fascinating to listen to the authentic transformation he experienced by allowing God to touch his heart. He he began to experience um, this love for Jesus and began to connect to him merely because he did what we're all supposed to do when we talk about reading the Word of God. It's not to read the Word of God just so it goes to your head. It's to read the word of God and say, what would it be like if I was in that situation? What would it be like if I was there? And and God, what if you just spoke to my heart? So here's a challenge. A challenge for you to think about. We're in Lent. Wouldn't it be wonderful a whole group of people fell in love with Jesus again? Wouldn't it be really wonderful if you just took these days that we have from now to that time and, and maybe just read one of the Gospels? Or maybe be really ambitious and try and read a gospel a week. And just say, Father, Jesus, in this time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a priority. I'm, gonna, I'm maybe going to cut out 
15 minutes of watching TV or 15 minutes of reading the paper. I'm going I'm to cut out maybe this time that I would do something else. There's lots of ways you can do this, folks. It's not, it doesn't have to be really hard. You, it, how many of you like, um, like to walk on a treadmill? You can, you can actually get downloads of the Bible and put them in headphones and listen. Are you willing to move into this better life and let Jesus capture your life and your heart? There's a better message, he says. What I, I shared with you, you know, this thing I want you to feel which real. Do you know what he says in these verses in, in chapter 3? He says this, that he regulates the universe by the mighty power of his command. He is the one who died to cleanse us and clear our record of all sin. And when he did it, he sat down at the highest honor beside God our Father in heaven. You know, that simple statement is that here is Jesus. He comes with a work to do, and he comes with a way and a message, and he says that was to cleanse you completely of your sins. And the word in the, in the uh, Greek there is this idea of, of taking a stain that's in our very being that no way can we remove, but Jesus comes with his love and his forgiveness for anyone who recognizes is humble enough to be able to acknowledge it, and he says, I will come by my death and by my blood. And that stain you couldn't get out, I've done it. And whenever a person sits down, you know, if, you, like, if you're cutting your yard, you know, anybody used to remember you push a lawnmower? Anybody ever used to do that once? When you got done, you just wanted to sit down and grab like an iced tea or lemonade or whatever, and you just wanted to enjoy that because the job was done. Jesus sat down next to his dad and goes, Dad, I, I just made it possible for every person here to not continue to hope for and wish for like they used to do in the Old Testament with sacrifices and, and all this stuff they did that were always pointing to the fact that they could be forgiven and that stain could be removed and they lived with that stain. What I did, Father, you know, it was really, I went down there and guess what? You're clean. You're, you're completely forgiven. Live in that. It's a fact. It's not a hope for. It's not a wished for. There's also a second thing I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture, and that is that Jesus is the better message. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, he says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited, inherited is superior to theirs. Real quickly, the word angel means messenger. The, the name Jesus is Yeshua, or in the Hebrew, Joshua, which means the one who saves. He, so he's basically making a really important point here. You guys are fascinated with angels. And angels are really good things. In fact, if we stopped right now and we had the ability to see in the realm of the spirit and to see around us, we would see angels. When we were worshiping, we would see angels. Can you imagine? We would see angels who are ministering to people who are, who are feeling hurt. When they started to open their heart, God would send an angel. When a person says, God, I need some wisdom, there's opportunity at times that God sends an angel. Angels are good things. But he's basically saying, you've got to lift your eyes higher than that. Because their name just means one who's messenger. And in fact, if you go to verse 14 at the very end, it, it makes this statement. He says, no, for the angels are only spirit messengers sent out to help and care for those who are to receive his salvation. They're just helpers of salvation. Jesus is the real deal. He's not just a messenger. He's the message. 
That's kind of what he's saying. And I, I invite you to read all the scripture because you go through verses 4 through 14 and, and he just goes one after another. Thus he became greater than the angels and he proved it. And he gives one scripture after another scripture that you can go through that proves the point that Jesus, his name meaning the one who saves, has got a name and he's inherited this name that is better than just the name messenger because he's the message. He's the one where you meet God. And so he, he kind of wants to make it really clear. And to fully capture this, you've got to return to those first four verses. Verses 1 through 4. He says, in the past, and he's making contrast all throughout this book. Verse 1. But in these last days, verse 2. And then he gives seven descriptions of who Jesus is. He's the son, not a mere prophet. He's the heir, not a mere servant. He's the creator, not a mere creation. He's the inner radiance of God's glory, not some mere reflector of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, not a mere image like you and me. He's the sustainer, not one who needs to be sustained. He's the full, final sacrifice, not some weekly, monthly, yearly hope that the stain of sin would be removed. This is Jesus. And through Jesus, there's not only a message given, but in Jesus is where you meet God. In Jesus, you experience the heart of God. You receive his grace. You receive his mercy. You understand his kindness. You are given patience. You are given love. And you will begin to taste the goodness of God. And as you taste the goodness of God and get filled up with that in your life, you have the opportunity to let it spill out into the lives of others. And you get to be his messenger. Now I have the, the worship team come out and we're going to close and conclude this service. And I just want to prepare you that as we do that in this time of, of, of uh, as we close in singing, uh, I want you to, to recognize that we, we give a caring offering and that caring offering is for those who are in need in, in our community. So the ushers, when the offering is we, uh, or when the music is played, if you do that. But I want to just share with you this. I didn't conclude the very final thing in this passage of scripture, it really comes in chapter two, verses one through four. It's the very first warning. Here's the warning, guys. He says, it's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. The first warning is don't drift. If the old message delivered by the angel was valid and nobody got away with anything, do you think we can risk neglecting the latest message, this magnificent salvation? First of all, it was delivered in person by the Lord Jesus and then accurately passed on to us by those who had heard it from him. And all the while, God was validating it with gifts through the Holy Spirit, all sorts of signs and miracles as he saw fit to do. So here's what I want you to think about as we kind of take this. Are you in a drift? That's why I'm calling you back to fall in love with Jesus. Are you in a drift? And we're all good Minnesotans, right? You've been up at a lake, right? You, maybe you took a boat and you thought you had tied it to the mooring and then all of a sudden you find out later you see the boat like about four feet, ten feet out. It's slowly drifting away. I'm not talking about like a big wind. You ever seen it, how they just kind of slowly drift away? Where are you? Are you tied to the mooring? Is this, is this real? Or are you drifting slowly, quietly, hardly noticeable? Just listen to your heart. <laughs>